our Lord and our God, King of the universe, ruler over all things, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. We thank you for creating us. Thank you for bringing us here to this day, to this moment in time. We thank you for your word and the history behind it. We're thankful that it can apply to our lives today. And we're asking, Lord, that you would bring the past and the present and join it forward, join it together, and bring us forward into the future that you have planned for us. In Yeshua's name, amen. Our lesson tonight, as we continue on the book of Jonah, Jonah part three, which brings us to chapter three. Okay, a little review. Uh, Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. He refused. He goes in the boat, the opposite direction, towards Tarshish. Wind comes, storm comes, God sends a storm, wakes him up, gets his attention. After the mariners, the, so the, the, uh, the people on the ship, the, the um, praying to their gods, tell him to pray to his God, and he says, you have to throw me overboard. It's the only thing that'll calm the storm. And so the, uh, they throw him overboard, and the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Right? So he's finally praying, took all of that to get him to be praying, and uh, he's finally praying, and sometimes God has to do dramatic things in our lives to get our attention, to get us start praying. Jonah prays a beautiful prayer, and we read that in all of chapter 2. Very powerful prayer. Very prophetic prayer. As Yeshua's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jonah's in the belly of the whale three days, three nights. As Yeshua was in the belly of the whale, three days, three nights. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. So quite a hiccup there, right? Quite a shot, right? Kind of expels him out, shoots him out onto the dry land. And there's Jonah, out of the belly of the whale. Is he going to keep to his commitment, right? He has this real heavy experience with the Lord in the belly of the whale, and sometimes we have our greatest experience with the Lord when we are in the belly of the whale. When we are going through the trial of our life, sometimes we pray more earnestly, more faithfully, we experience God more fully than at any other time in our life. And, that, and sometimes that's what God allows some of those things to happen. Sometimes tremendous blessings happen in our lives, and it causes us to seek the Lord even more and appreciate him even more and praise him even more. And we go through that and we have some type of experience. Maybe we go through some type of a, a Bible seminar or Bible class or first coming to the Lord and we come to experience him for the first time in our lives personally and really, not just head-wise, but we surrender our lives to him and we have a deep experience with the Lord and it draws us so close and we're just having deep prayers and enjoying our time with him. And all of that is wonderful. The big question is, what happens after the experience? After the revival in our life? After the spiritual high? Do we continue on that high? Or do we go down the other side of the mountain? Or do we plateau on the mountain? And just kind of stay there and coast for a while? What about Jonah? So he has this experience in the belly of the whale. What does he do now that he's expelled out? What does he, how does he allow that to impact his life? Was it just a temporary prayer, a temporary surrender, temporary experience with the Lord? 
chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message I tell you. God comes to him again, a second time specifically giving him the same message he told him the first time. Go to Nineveh, that great city. God in his great mercy did not give up on Jonah. He spoke to him once, tracked him down in the sea, provided the fish for him. I don't know, it was a whale, a fish, right? Great fish. And then spared his life, puts him up on land, doesn't tell us where, somewhere, hopefully closer to Nineveh than he was before, and gives him another opportunity to get it right. And God in his mercy, he gives us commandments, he gives us his way, he gives us his plan, gives us our marching orders, and often very patient with us, and will try to bring us around another time. And often back to the same spot we were when we departed before. When he brought us, the children of Israel, to the Jordan River, told us to cross over and go conquer the land, we refused. He let us wander through the wilderness for 40 years. Now, unfortunately, many of the people who refused, all of the adults who refused, did not get a second chance. But when he did eventually bring us back around, he brought us back to the same spot and told us a second time, go into the land and conquer the land. So as he brings us around in our life, he'll bring us to the same spot. Maybe not exactly the same. There might be someone who annoys you and you go running from that person. May quit the job. May divorce the person. May leave the congregation. But if God has not developed in you a love and a forgiveness and ability to rise above the circumstance, he'll bring that person right back into your life. Now, it may not have the same exact name. They may not have the same exact face, but it'll be the same person. A variation, anyway, of that person, of that situation, of that circumstance. And you'll go through it again. And God will say, I'm giving you a second chance <laughs> to learn to be lovable, to the unlovable, to be patient with those that rub you the wrong way, to give you victory over that sin, to give you power over that temptation, to give you obedience to that commandment, and he'll bring us back again to a similar circumstance. Why? Why would he do that? Why does he tell Jonah, go to Nineveh a second time? Why? Because he loves Jonah. <laughs> and he knows this is good for Jonah. <laughs> and it's the same reason he allows us to go through our experiences, because they are all good for us. That's right. I mean, he could have asked somebody else. He could have asked an angel. But he wanted Jonah. It was for Jonah. And it's for us. And God brings us around because gaining the victory is important, vitally important. Our characters have to be purified. Our, our, our minds and our hearts have to be made right with God in order to be able to live in the heavenly courts, the 
before God's throne for eternity. He is not going to allow into heaven anything that will destroy it, anything that will corrupt it, anything that will mar it, anything that will bring it down all over again. A new heavens, a new earth. So he has to work in our lives, chisel away, prune away everything that defiles. And so out of love for us and a love for everyone that we will come in contact with, he brings us around a second time, brings Jonah around a second time, and says, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message I will tell you. And so Jonah went to Nineveh. Praise the Lord. He's having his experience. He's keeping it going. He's being obedient. God said go. He promised in the belly of the whale he would follow the Lord, and he's following. So he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. Jonah entered the city on the first day's walk and said, Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So he's walking through the city, a huge city. Take three days to walk across it. Three days to preach the message. And he's one day into that journey, one day into that walk, one day into the city. And he's preaching now. Now, God said, you'll preach the words that I tell you to preach. And this is what's recorded. Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Forty, uh, number in the Bible often used, kind of symbolizing a generation, a time period, a testing time, trying time, a period of time of, of uh, for Moses up on the mount, 40 days, Yeshua in the wilderness, 40 days, Children of Israel wandering 40 years. David reigning for 40 years. Solomon reigning for 40 years. A complete generational time. Time of testing. If they make it to the 40, then that's good. So 40 days. A 40-day test. 40 days. And Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now why would God give them 40 days? Why didn't he just overthrow them already? Why don't you just overthrow him on the first day? Or maybe give at least three days for Jonah to make it all the way through to give the message in on the third day. Why? He loves them. That's right. God loves Nineveh. He loves the people of Nineveh, and he's giving them time. Time so they can be afraid for the next 40 days, so that they can fret so God is just like, you know, uh, like on the, the movies or the television shows where, you know, the, the bad guys never kill the good guys right then and there. You know, I mean, the show would be over. You know, they have ample opportunity to do it, but for whatever reason, they decide to wait till tomorrow to kill them. You know, they put them on the slow conveyor belt, you know, to, you know, to dump them into the boiling oil or something like that, you know. Uh, just before they reach the end, then the hero comes, you know. Uh, they'll just kill him. <laughs> Unless he's a dependable, uh, 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 expendable uh, seaman, you know, or something like that. <laughs> you know, they can get rid of, you know, no name, you know, and they just... Let him die. But they slow. So God is giving them opportunity. Because he doesn't want to overthrow them. So he tells them you have 40 days to get your act right. Or you will be overthrown. And God's not just wanting to instill uh, fear, tremendous fear, just as a you know, uh, sadistic, wanting to see them suffer longer, suffer for 40 days. That hanging over them, knowing it's coming, 
with no escape, with no hope. He gives them the 40 days so they have time to escape the judgment to come. That's right. And he sends Nineveh, so he sends Jonah, so they will be without an excuse. So in the judgment, the eternal judgment, God can say, I gave them an opportunity. And gave them time. He sent a messenger with a message and gave them time. And God is giving us time right now. If you ever wondered why you're still alive, God is giving you time. He's either giving you time to repent and to get your life right with God, or he's giving you time to use you in some way, shape, or form. Even if we're just laid up on our back and all we can do is pray, paralyzed, you know, from the nose down, our mind is still working and we can pray, and God still has a purpose for us. He's got a work for us to do. He's got purpose for us. So either one of those two reasons, and maybe both, he's giving us time to get our lives totally right with him and to use us for his glory. So he's giving us time. He's giving us warning. He's giving us a time of probation to get it right. And he's given them 40 days probation. So Jonah's going and he's preaching this. 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The love of God, the mercy of of God. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Not so much Jonah, they believed God. I mean, no doubt the seaweed and the smell, I mean, that had, probably had an impact on them. But the people believed, and Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Powerful. He didn't even make it three days in. He didn't make it two days in. He didn't make it halfway in. His first day's journey. And everybody else took it for him. And they ran with it. And they took it to the rest of the city for him. And that's what God wants to do. He doesn't want just one voice sounding the message. He doesn't want just one voice sounding the warning. He doesn't want just one voice giving the message and demonstrating the love of God. He wants each one of us taking it and running with it and telling everyone. One person will not reach this city. One person will not reach the world. God wants to use each one of us. God sent Jonah. He only made it one-third in. And they took it the rest of the way. Ran with it. Gave the message. And the people believed. And that's why they believed God more than believing Jonah. Many of them heard it secondhand. Many of them heard it from the other Ninevites. And they believed. And they proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth. Mourning. Believing this is true. Believing this city is going down. God had been impressing them. Their lives were not right. The corruption was just horrible and getting worse. It woke them up to this. And it took that message to get them off of their slumber, to wake them up. They fast and put on sackcloth. Now, is that enough? God looks at that, sees the sackcloth, says that's good. 
Let's see. Verse 6. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. So the message gets all the way up to the throne, all the way up to the king. And it doesn't say Jonah goes to the king. The word came to the king. So again, the people are taking it and bringing it even up to the king. From the greatest to the lowest, everybody is heard and everybody is sensing the impact of it. Wow, how much different than Pharaoh? What's the story of the Bible would be so much different if Pharaoh would have responded this way? or others, or many of the kings of Israel, or Judah, or others that the message had come to responded that way. How much different this world would be if our leaders responded that way? But did it start with the leaders? No. It started with the people. And the people took it to the leaders. And if the people take it, and the people respond, not just in word, but taking it to heart and putting on sackcloth and ashes and grieving the sins that we have committed, grieving and lamenting for the situation of this country and of this world, then it will reach the leaders. Often we want just the, the leaders to make the change. And we change the leader, we then vote these guys out and vote new guys in and then everything will be all right. That's not how it works. It needs to be the people. Changing. Grassroots. And it needs to again start with us. Start at home. And then be spread person to person. Just as we're seeing the corruption taking place in this country and in this world. We're seeing the downhill very quick, steady loss of morality. Things are being done and promoted and shown on television and in speeches and in laws. That's just 10, 15, 20 years ago, unheard of. Yes. Why? Because there were laws outlawing those things? We didn't have freedom of speech then? We didn't have freedom of liberties then? No. It's because the people didn't want it then. And the people are open to it, if not wanting it, allowing it. Television stations are only going to show what people watch. The bookstores are only going to show what people watch. The web designers and writers are only going to write and show what people will go to. And the reason there is so much garbage out there is because, not because the leaders are asking for it, but because the people are eating it. Because the people are wanting it. Because the people are taking it. And so then the leaders are allowing it. It needs to start with us. And we need to take it to others. And believe me, if the people don't want it, then the Leaders will not vote it in and will not encourage it and will not push it. It needs to start with us. So the message makes it all the way to the king and the king reacts the same way. The king realizes God's spirit comes upon him and he realizes this judgment is coming. This God is real. We've been wicked. 
And he covers himself, takes off his robe, covers himself in sackcloth, and sits there in ashes, mourning. Is that good enough? No, he says, he had a, it proclaimed throughout Nineveh, saying, let neither man nor beast taste anything or drink water. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. <laughs> now, how they got the cows and the beasts to cry mightily to God, that I don't know. <laughs> but the king makes this decree. And again, if the people didn't want it, if the king made this decree, would it do anything? No. But the people were wanting it, and the king just went along with what the people, spirit was moving, and things were moving forward in this direction. The king goes with it. He's sensing it too. He's taking it to heart also. And so he proclaims, let's all do this together. Let's all fast and cry out mightily to God. Let's cry out. This is God that Jonah is telling us about. Let us cry out to him. Now, is that enough? Is it that the people are putting on sackcloth? Is it enough that the king is putting on sackcloth? Is it enough that they're not eating? Is it enough that they're sitting in ashes? Is it enough that they're crying out to their God? It's good, right? But is it enough? Is that what God requires of us? To put on sackcloth, to sit in ashes, and to not eat. Is that the fast that God requires of us? Verse 9, the king says, Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? king says, let's, you know, be sorry for our sins, put on the sackcloth, put on the ashes, let's fast, let's pray to God, and maybe this God will turn and relent. So he got the message that the 40 days was to give him time to repent, to give him time to correct the wrong. And he goes about doing it. He senses in that 40 days. Because the rest of the message, was there any sounding of hope there? 40 days and the city will be overthrown? You hear a message of hope there? You hear a message of chance there other than the 40 days? No, it's not if you don't repent in 40 days, you will be overthrown. It's not repent of your sins turn to God, or else in 40 days your city will be destroyed. But just from the words that were there, if that's all that Jonah said, the king and the people got it, that the fact that God's giving us 40 days, maybe this God is a loving God and will relent if our hearts are in tune with him. God will turn and relent and turn away his fierce anger against us so that we may not perish. Do you think that was part of Jonah's message? Is that where he got it from? That Jonah was saying, if you turn from your evil ways and turn to God, 
He will relent and he won't bring this disaster upon you. It certainly should have been. But it might not have been. One thing it didn't say it. And the other reason, when Jonah was on the boat and all the other sailors were saying, turn from our sins, pray to our gods, that the storm may stop, what was Jonah's answer? Was Jonah's answer, yes, let us turn from our sins, let us pray to our God, because who knows, maybe God will turn and relent and turn away the storm. Was that what Jonah said? No. Jonah said, the only thing is judgment. Throw me overboard. God will not be satisfied until I'm destroyed. So I don't know if Jonah put that in there. Maybe he got it in the belly of the whale and caught on. But it's not mentioned in the text that that's what he said. But the king got it and the people got it. And that's what counts. At least for them. And I hope we're getting it. God will respond in like manner as we respond to him. As he pours out his mercy, as he pours out his love, and again, that might be a storm, it might be the belly of a fish, it might be a warning of judgment, but it's an opportunity to turn and turn to God and to get our lives right with him. If we heed that and respond to him, draw near to him, he will relent of the calamity, the eternal calamity, the eternal judgment, which will be the end result of all of us if we don't turn from our wicked ways and turn to God. God will pay us exactly what we have coming. The Bible says the wages of sin, the payment of sin, the salary of sin, the reward of sin, is death. And if we choose to stay in our sins, we choose to rebel against God, we choose to resist him, we'll get what we asked for. But the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Yeshua the Messiah. And so as we respond to him, he demonstrates love by giving us time, by giving us a warning message, by sending blessings in our lives, whether food, air, water, and anything above that. Sending his spirit to impress our minds and to draw us to him. And if we respond in like manner, turning towards him, hating sin, he will turn and relent. And that's a message from the king of Nineveh. From the king of Nineveh. And the rest of the Bible. If we turn to him, he will turn to us. He's already turned to us. He's already seeking us. But the disaster, the judgment, will be turned away from us as we turn to him. But is that enough to turn away God's wrath? Putting on sackcloth, putting on ashes, not eating. I mean, if you've been bad for five years, 10 years, 30 years, 
Do you have to not eat for five years, 10 years, 30 years? I mean, what do you have to do? How long do you have to sit in ashes and sackcloth to make up for the bad things that we've done? We can't live that long. <laughs> God saw, verse 10, God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. It wasn't the sackcloth. It doesn't say God saw their sackcloth and it was nice sackcloth. God was impressed with their sackcloth. God, it doesn't say God saw them sitting in ashes. And God was wowed by them sitting in their ashes. It doesn't say God saw them not eating. And he had pity on how hungry they were. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. And if we are really sorry for the sins that we have committed, the hurt that we've caused other people, the pain we've brought to God's heart, and especially to his heart in his son, because it's the sins that we've committed that caused the Messiah to bear our sins and to go through the rejection and the beatings and the whippings and the death and the separation from God And as we realize that, that it's our sins that cause so much suffering, and that causes us to sorrow, we should lose our appetite. We should just want to be covered and not be seen. We should want to hide our face. We should want that the sun doesn't even look upon us. And we cover ourselves in sackcloth and ashes and feel as if we're dead or deserve to be dead. We should hate our sinful, carnal nature. We should hate the sins that we have committed. And so it's not wrong to go through that experience. It actually should be a natural occurrence when we realize how much damage we have done, how wicked we have been. And when we truly see God face to face, when we truly see him for who he really is. When we truly have an experience with him and see his great love and see his great mercy and realize what he has done for us already and what he has already been planning for us. And when we see his great love and we realize the great harm that we have done to him, it should cause us to want to put on sackcloth ashes and stop eating. When we truly see him, we will truly see how bad even our so-called little sins are. When we truly see how good he is, we will realize, in comparison, how bad we really are. See, most of the time, all we're doing is comparing ourselves with ourselves. I'm a little better than I was yesterday. We're comparing ourselves with others. And I'm certainly better than them. And so we don't realize how horrible 
even our so-called little sins are. But when we see them in the light, that even the little sins cause the death of the Messiah and will cause our eternal death if we hold on to them. It should cause us to repent in sackcloth and ashes. But more than just that, there has to be a repentance in the life, a turning in the life, a change in the life. Many alcoholics who lament alcohol, who lament their alcoholism, who curse the alcohol, who hate the alcohol, and will denounce it every step of the way to the bar. There's many people caught in the circle of lust that hate themselves for looking at the pornography, for going down to the brothel, and hate themselves even more after the fact. Lament and cry and cover themselves and put on sackcloth and ashes and beat themselves in their minds and hearts. But that's not enough to just loathe the sin and hate the sin. There needs to be a next step. There needs to be a repentance. There needs to be a turning from the sins. There needs to be a victory over the sins. It's not just biting the tongue from speaking evil words, from speaking gossip, from railing and putting down. We need a new tongue. We need a changed tongue. We need a new voice. We need to speak with new tongues. We need to speak words of love and encouragement and kindness and truth and righteousness and holiness. There needs to be a turning. And when God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. Now, we don't have the power in ourselves to turn from those wicked ways, but God can give us the power to turn from those wicked ways. Bible asks the question, can, can a leopard change his spots? Can he get rid of his spots? No, no more than you can change. Without God, we cannot change. But with God, all things are possible. God can give us a new tongue. God can give us new eyes. God can give us new hearts. God can give us new desires. God can give us new minds. God can give us new thoughts. That is what God is wanting to do. That is why he sent his spirit. That is why he sent his son to die to take away the sins. To remove them from us. But we need the second step of having them replaced with something better. The carnal heart is taken out, but we need to have God put a new heart in. The wrong desire is taken out. God writing his law in our hearts and compelling us to do them. It's the love of God that constraineth us, that compelleth us, that moves us forward. 
like a rubber band, you can strain it back and you shoot it forward. He constraineth us and he moves us forward, walking in his love, walking in his power, from victory to victory. And as when he sees we will be, we are saved by grace, but we are judged by works. If we truly have received of God's grace, then the works will manifest themselves out of us. Thus be a testimony that God is working in us and through us. But if we just claim, oh God, I put on the sackcloth, oh God, I didn't eat for three days, oh God, I sat in ashes for a week, oh God, I hate that sin. He says, I hate that sin too. But I sent my spirit to use to give you victory over it and to turn you from it. Because if we continue in it, we kill the Messiah afresh. If we continue in it, even though we hate it, we would take it right into heaven with us if he allowed it. So it's more than just hating the sin. It's turning from the sin. Now today, the majority of the messages focus on the first part, and all the first part. Only believe. They believed, and the Ninevites believed and put on sackcloth and ashes. Only believe. Only apologize. Only ask forgiveness. And that's all it means. That's all it takes. Well, it's not. There needs to be a turning from sin and a turning back to God. I knew somebody, you tell me whether or not this would be acceptable to you. And if not to you, why would it be acceptable to God? Someone stole some things, got caught, wrote an apology, very nicely written, very nice apology, and sent it with a package of not the same items that were taken, but inferior items, used items, not such nice items, items they didn't want anymore. Would you receive that as compensation? I'm seeing your heads shake in a not, in a not positive way. That was Cain's problem. <laughs> that was problem. So with God? Accept anything such as that? Not just a letter of apology, but a turning. A true repentance will be sorry. And will return, and will return. How much fold does the Bible say if you stole? Fourfold. Right? You take someone's ox, you don't give them a kitten. <laughs> Even ten kittens, right? You know? Repentance, true repentance, a true turning from sin. So if God kicked Adam and Eve out for taking one fruit each, they might have even shared it. Might even been half a fruit each. Is He going to let us in with sin on our record, with carnal, selfish hearts? Certainly not. But the message today, popular message of the day: Be sorry for your sins. Bumper stickers I've seen. God's people are not perfect, just, just, just 
forgiven. We are more than forgiven. That's the first step. More than forgiven, overcomers with God, by God's strength, by God's power. I can do all things through Yeshua, the Messiah, who strengthens me. Yes, he forgives. And yes, part of repentance is a sorrow for sin. But it's also a turning from sin. Teshuva is the Hebrew word. To turn. Turning from the sin. Not doing it anymore. Now doing the opposite. And God will change our hearts so much that we won't even want to do it anymore. Not only will we loathe it, we don't even have a desire for it. He will give us victory. He will change our minds. He will change our taste buds. He will change our desires. And he will give us a love for those things that are good. A love for those things that are right. And a desire for those things that are good and holy. And I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've seen it. You no, no doubt have seen it. And when we've seen it in the little things in our lives, well, then he can do it in all things in our lives as well, right? If we used to be cursers or, you know, whatever, and he's given us victory over that, well, he can give us victory over anything. And everything. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And that's what it will be in the judgment. He's going to look to see. The record books will say whether or not we have turned from our wicked ways. Whether we have turned to God. Whether we have had sorrow for those sins. Whether we have accepted his love. Whether we have accepted his mercy because of the Messiah's death for us. Whether we have accepted the forgiveness and received and accepted the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to change us. And thus in the judgment, the books will be opened. And the things that we've done that are written in there will either stand against us or will be covered with the blood of the Messiah because we've allowed him to change us and to turn us and turn us to him. How do we want to walk through the judgment? How do we want to walk through this life? Just sorrowful all the time? Sackcloth and ashes and not eating? beating ourselves or accepting the Messiah's beating in our behalf and walking through victoriously, joyously, triumphantly by God's grace. That's what made the difference for Nineveh. Not the sackcloth and ashes, that was the first step, but all the way. As we pray together, in some area in your life God's calling you to truly repent of, Maybe you hate some sin. Maybe you're sorry for it. God wants to give you full victory. Full repentance. True repentance. Not just revival, but reformation as well. Revival precedes reformation. Love and experience with God should bring about a reformation as well. Revival brings about a reform, a changing, a new life. Revival and reformation. As we pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, 
I am thankful, Lord, that you not only forgive, but you empower. I'm thankful that you're not only merciful, but that you're also gracious and good. I'm thankful, Lord, that you not only want us to hate sin, but that you want to give us victory over sin. I'm thankful, God, that you not only are able to change our desires, but to change our lives. And so, Lord, work inside each one of us and give us that true repentance. Give us that new life. Give us that victory in you. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.